Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. In his word is that when he was asked the question, how many times should I forgive? Is it seven? Jesus said, no, 77 times. But the heart behind that wasn't about the number more than the principle behind the number. You know, he gave a parable of two servants, one who was forgiven a debt so insurmountable in terms of where we are. It's like saying a multi-million dollar debt that he could not pay back. And yet the ruler showed him grace and let him go uh, with the hope that he would go and do the same. But he didn't. He went and didn't extend grace to the man who owed him $10,000. Instead, he threw him in prison. And as a result, he faced that same consequence for himself. What we learn foremost, God cannot forgive if we're not willing to forgive those that have hurt us. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he mentions, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. And goes on to add that the Lord cannot forgive if we cannot forgive in verses 13 and 14. And so then we, we found out that when Jesus talks about, you know, the, the parable in equal measure, when he talks about the numbers of 77 times, it's not about keeping score, it's about losing count. It's about not writing people off, but focusing on the love and unity above the offense. The word says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. But the context of that scripture is that if a brother offends you, you are to approach your brother. And you're to love, approach it from a place of love and unity in that. Because that's where he is in unity. God cannot be where there are fractures. This body, there cannot be division. God cannot operate in a place that goes one way or the other. It's in unity. And so when we think about this principle, you know, I understand that this series is very hard. My heart would be not to bring condemnation, but conviction. That it would actually bring reflection. It will bring the opportunity to make amends and move forward. To fully embrace and understand the true freedom of Christ on the cross when he said it is finished. That means everything was finished on the cross. Heart would be that as we reflect on this, that it would generate conversation, discussion, openness, stepping out of our comfort zones, and more importantly, restoration between us and others. So we talk about forgiveness, right? The principle is easy. The practice is hard but the result is powerful. You know, many years ago, I had the privilege of, of working for an organization that, that uh, focused on restorative justice. And so there was a program with it that was called group conferencing. And what it was is that a, a young person had an opportunity to bypass the sentence by going through group conferencing. And it sounded great on paper for people, but it was actually quite confronting because what it meant, it meant that that young person had to sit in a room with the arresting officer, with the victim of, of the crime that they had perpetrated against, uh, and then a facilitator, which more often than not was the team, myself. And I remember one particular young person. I remember the whole story. It would take five months to get to that point. But I remember speaking to the police officer first. This is rubbish. Chuck him in. Throw away the key. This is rubbish. I'm like, look, I may think the same, but the magistrates ordered this. So ultimately, whether we like it or not, this is what the process we've got to go through. So we can either embrace it or just complain the whole way. Thank God he didn't arrest me for that. But... But what the young person had done, he had committed multiple offenses. One of them was he had broken into a church and completely desecrated the church, stolen money. Then he had broken into a beautiful old couple's home. Uh, he had stolen some of the most important treasures, things that had been passed down from hundreds of years in the family um, and, and caused severe anxiety to the lady. 
And so I was shocked that when I reached out to the victims, they were happy. Look, we'll sit down and meet with this young person and, and the pastor of the church as well. And, and then it was time to meet the young person. And I went to a facility where the young person was at. And, and I remember like, it's almost like King Kong was in the room. I could hear things being smashed and chests being beaten. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to have, you know, someone that's like six foot eight that's going to come in. But he was like a little kid. Literally, probably a little bit bigger than Alexis, right? Like, he's a very little kid, but he's full of anger, full of rage. And he's like, oh, I don't care. I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to tell them where to go, how to get there, when to get there. He was just going, you know. I'm like, cool, that's cute. So we go through the process, and the day comes. And again, he comes in, oh, no, no. And we sit down. And it's the opportunity for the victim to look the young person in the eye and tell him exactly what he did. And the first person, the pastor, he explains, my son, you've got such a bright future ahead of you. Don't settle for anything less and started loving on this kid. But it was the older couple. The men, they would have been about in their early 80s. He looks into the eye of this young kid and he says, what you did has caused so much grief in my family because there are things that we will never, ever get back. My wife, she is scared to walk out of this house out of fear that something will happen. But let me tell you something, son. And he's looking him dead in the eye. Let me tell you something, son. I was young once too. I know what it was like to make bad decisions. I know what it was like to do the things to fit in. But you are welcome in my house anytime. You are welcome to come and be with me anytime, son. Because they're your future. Now this kid all of a sudden from being here was crumpled down, crying, shaking. For the first time in his life, in 13 short years of his life, Someone had actually spoken love over him and forgave him, forgive him. Can I tell you one thing? That boy didn't go on to offend again. Forgiveness is powerful, not easy. And so this week, you might be thinking, but what happens if it's an extreme offense? If something that someone has done to me is so extreme that is borderline unforgivable? Well, today we're going to dive deeper. Again, my heart in this series is not to, to condemn, but to convict. My heart is that as we move forward, we will see the lens not from hurt, but from the cross. And so we're going to go through the story of Joseph. You know, again, I'm basically going to narrate 13 chapters of the Bible in 23 minutes. So if I start speaking like a horse racer, you'll know why. I promise I won't. But uh, here we go. See, the story of Joseph is one that really exemplifies the journey through various obstacles one can go through to forgive. Kidna in his common story is one of divine sovereignty, not of human success. Often we can look at Joseph and say, oh, but it's easy for him. But it was divine sovereignty, not his success. That is a hallmark of this story. And so I'm going to narrate the story, read verses as we go along. But we start with the very first hurdle in Joseph's life, which was the betrayal. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 to 4, it talks about now Israel, or, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Very quickly, the first thing that we see is that Jacob didn't learn from his mistakes in his generation where favoritism got him the blessing of God, rather than change an ecosystem in a new generation, he did the exact same thing and chose a favorite and started loving on his favorite. Sometimes the circumstances we face are not of our own, but are consequences of generations gone by. It's the first thing. I'm going to have a lot of side notes as we go. And so this led to hate. And this was only exacerbated by dreams that Joseph had. God gave him dreams that had this picture of all his relatives, everyone bowing down to him. 
And so what this yielded was, we read in verse 11, jealousy. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. See, Joseph was a young teenage boy, impressionable. You know, he was in, his only crime was to be enthusiastic, naive, a little bit too much, a little bit immature in how he went about that. But he genuinely believed that those that were there, his family, he had their support that they loved him, that they protected him. But the reality is that his brothers were jealous. It was quite the opposite. They hated him. They despised him. And if we can be truthful sometimes, church, more often than not, we can read this scripture from the lens of trying to be Joseph when really the role we play is the brothers. See, we may feel overlooked, unappreciated, struggle to see other people succeed, and he brings this, this, God never intended. The pie is not a, a simple pie that a slice goes here, the other person misses out. God's love is eternally uh, equal to all people in different measure, but it's God's love is equal and available to all of us. And so we see that this hate, it drove the brothers to do the most unthinkable thing. Rather than confront their little brother and say, hey man, look, awesome, and you're cute, bro. It's, you're cute, but man, there are ways of doing that. Rather than confront the issue, they broke him. They tried to kill him. They tried to break him physically, spiritually, and emotionally. They threw him in a pit. And in this moment in his life, he is sitting there alone and broken, abandoned and afraid, thinking, what on earth is happening? A lack of self-worth. I thought my brothers loved me. But all he was worth was a couple of silver coins. See, church, the reality is some of us can relate in this season of betrayal abused by the very people that were put in to protect you, broken by the very people that were there to be in family. It could be in the church. But like Joseph, you're in this pit of abandonment thinking, what did I do to deserve this? I told you it's going to be heavy. Maybe that person, that person that in covenant before God, you said, I do, through sickness and health, good times and bad times has walked out on you. Maybe that parent didn't want you and abandoned you. Whatever it is, a boundary was crossed. And like Joseph, you come here betrayed, abandoned, and broken. Let me tell you this hope. See, Joseph faced an unknown reality. Carrying the last memories of betrayal, Joseph had to find a way to trust that if God had indeed given him the dreams, then God would make a way. Joseph carried a weight, but he trusted God in moving forward. Starting to find his feet, we find ourselves at the next hurdle that Joseph had to go through on his quest for forgiveness, and that was the accusation. See, Genesis 5, it tells us, you know, he was sold uh, to, to, to a chief officer named Potiphar, a man of, of good stature and, and wealth, and he was brought there to be a slave. And it says in verse 2 to 5, the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his, to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. First thing to understand is that Joseph went from being a son to being a slave, yet God was still with him. 
God is not only present in the good times. God is not only present in the praise songs and the worship songs. God is not only present where everything seems to be going right. But throughout all circumstances, as we diligently seek him, God is there. Joseph carried integrity. Joseph understood that his worship was greater than his circumstance. I don't understand why I'm here, but God, you were good all the time and all the time. You were good and I will worship you. I will honor you. I will praise you and I will serve you. And so as a result, God's hand was on everything that Joseph touched. But then we come to this moment, verse 7 to verse 19. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been, caught, uh, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make, me, make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Potiphar's wife, we can all imagine, probably was a very, very beautiful woman. And Joseph, being a young man, if anyone had a reason to say, well, you know what? Everyone's done me wrong. Stuff it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to jump in. It'd be Joseph. Many of us get into a situation where we've been wrong so much. Well, you know what? doesn't matter. I'm going to have that drink. I'm going to go and fool around with that person. I'm going to go and do those things to somehow get back at God because if he really loves me, I wouldn't be here. If anyone had that reason, it was Joseph. valued integrity and the honor of God and what God had done. He knew that God was working in this. Just a side note for those that deal with temptation. How do I deal with temptation? You don't walk, you run. I mean, Joseph ran. He would have looked, looked silly running out there. But the whole heart behind it is, is he knew he struggled with the temptation. You don't run if you're not struggling for something, right? He wasn't like all cocky. Oh, no, nah, man. He's like, I better run because if I stay one more second, I will sleep. God, I love you. Rescue me. I'm running. What was his reward? He was accused of rape. He was thrown in prison. Now a new rock bottom. First betrayed, now accused. Have you ever had anyone falsely question your intention? Falsely question your integrity, your character, and convince other people to believe it? Have you ever been in that situation where your intentions were well, but they were taken against you? You know, I remember one, one time um, when I worked in an organization where, you know, I was in leadership and I, to bring someone along on the journey... Uh, to develop them to be, in essence, the next leader so that I could step into the next season, which, funny enough, ended up being to come into church. And I remember the behavior of this individual went against the values of the organization, one. It had self-interest at heart, not the interest of the young person on hand, two. And it was about making himself, not making an impact on the community. 
Now, I remember when I confronted this situation, for me, I've always been trained to take notes of everything. We call them case notes. So I note everything, not because this would happen. It's more because, you know, I've got the memory of a goldfish last seven seconds. <laughs> so, but thank God it worked out in this time. And I remember when I had gone to confront him, my manager had called a meeting. And she's like, who wants to go first? It's, it's almost like a mediation. I'm thinking, mediation? What do we need mediation for? And I go, you know what? Let him go first. And he just started saying, everything he was doing, he said, I did. And I empowered him, that I enabled him. But thankfully, I had my records of my emails and everything that I had. And so my manager pulled me aside. And, no, I sat him down and I said, I forgive you, man. I don't know where this came from, but the culture had been, it was, the, I think the, one of the sayings was dog eat dog world. And I'm like, my kingdom culture is not dog eat dog world. It's my kingdom come, your will be done. You are forgiven, you are restored. Go and sin no more. But naturally, I wanted to justify myself. I didn't do that. I wanted to just start and doing this. And then we read with Joseph, he could have justified himself. He could have gone porky pig, but he didn't. He didn't. But yet in his prayer life, he probably asked God, God, why is this happening to me? I'm serving you, God. Why is this happening to me? It's not a good feeling. And some of us are here and you've been labeled things. Liar, cheat, good for nothing, bad husband, bad wife, bad person. You may have been labeled things and you might want to justify yourself because the assumption of other people's, people, people's, other people are incorrect. There's a need to vindicate. For, for Joseph, there was a need to vindicate, but he trusted God. And the beautiful thing about verse 20, 21, after all this, is Joseph master, Joseph's master took him out, put him in prison. That's not beautiful. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's our guide. He's there with us. And so as Joseph seemingly appeared to be going backwards, he knew that God had not abandoned him. He continued to worship God and not bow to circumstance. Seemingly, he started walking again. Again, he's getting up until he encounters the next hurdle, which I've called forgotten but not gone. Now, we've heard gone but forgotten, not but, but not forgotten, but this one was forgotten, not gone. Genesis 40, we see that now in prison, two of the pharaohs, Chief men, his chief baker and cupbearer come in. And what I love about the scripture is in prison physically, spiritually or emotionally, he was freer than he had ever been before. He kept serving. He kept carrying with integrity. Honest question. How many of us continue serving when we're carrying the hurt of what other people have done to us? And I'm not talking just about in church. I'm talking about in life. Often we punish God. I'm not going to talk to my neighbor. I'm not going to be generous to that person. I'm not going to tell my neighbor about Jesus. I'm not going to go to church. Because we hide it through our personality traits. But reality is, it's, if we're honest with ourselves before God, it's actually the lens of insecurity. Maybe I'm not good enough, so I'll just hide behind this. Yet Joseph embraced God, and this was reciprocated. So an opportunity to serve came. So these, these boys that had dreams, one didn't end so well for him. The other one, it ended pretty well. And again, I'm not doing this justice. Take your time, read Genesis 37 to 50 to read it fully. But, but Jesus showed the cupbearer, uh, sorry, Jesus, Joseph showed the cupbearer, the chief baker, the same care and effect as he did to Potiphar. 
And so he interpreted the dreams. And when he interpreted the cupbearer in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 40, we read, Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon." This is a, a little message when we say, just pray it away. This is the humanity of Joseph on display right there. Hey, I did, at this point, it's like, hey, come on, Matt. You know, I'll scratch your back, scratch mine, please. Like, <laughs> this sucks. I get cards in it. But this is an opportunity. Remember what I did. He asked to be remembered. And then we go to verse 23. The chief, the chief, cheap as well, maybe. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him forgotten have you ever done something nice for some hour of need only for them to forget about you and your greatest hour of need that time when you went out of your way for someone you you did and not not because you wanted the recognition but the time came where you needed something and they were not there for you not even a thank you not even an acknowledgement not even a glance parading their accomplishments but not even actually saying thank you for being in my life in that moment this is what Joseph faced. Another 12 years, sorry, another two years, sorry. Another two years passed and Joseph had seemingly lost everything. Betrayed, accused and forgotten. He sat alone praying and asking God for deliverance. God, I need you. I don't know why God, but I, why this is happening, but I need you. But then in a moment of time, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. Genesis 41, you know, again, in, 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 in just recapping it, Pharaoh had a dream. And no one, none of his chief magicians, is the equivalent of what their priest was, could interpret. The cupbearer was like, aha, uh -huh, ah, oh yeah, I remembered, I remembered. Pharaoh, there's this guy in the prison, man, like, he's good. Like, the other bloke, he died. He said he died, he died. But he said, I'd live. And in three days, I lived. You should get him up here. He hears from God. Just a tangent on that. In your despair, God will divinely position the critical people for your breakthrough. You might be sitting next to that person right now, but it's not my personality. I don't talk to those people. So we just come in and do life by ourselves. And yet the person for your breakthrough is sitting right next to you. They might be your cupbearer. You might be their Joseph. You might be their cupbearer. They might be your Joseph. But too often, too often, we go into this silo of personality as opposed to listening to the divine opportunities that God presents before us because we don't like something. But the awesome thing that I love about Joseph is that he didn't burn bridges. He didn't say, oh man, two years, about time. <laughs> Good on you, man. Don't talk to me, I'm not doing nothing for you. You know, you put your neck on the line for me, but you know what, I asked you to remember me, but you do that. He came up, he could have complained, but again, he carried integrity. In verse 15 of chapter 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that, said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. He could have been like, yeah, that's me, man. I'm your man. But the humility of who he is, verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. In that moment, things changed. See, church, God is not linear. What took 13 years of Joseph seemingly going backwards would not take 13 years to go to the palace 
Often we think, I've had this for decades. It's going to take decades to see the fruitfulness of God. But when you have a heart of grace, a heart of forgiveness, every, any moment could be that moment that you go from the pit to the palace. Disappointment after disappointment through those prayers, one prayer away, one step closer, one opportunity closer, one conversation closer to breakthrough. And so Joseph, at this, this is a successful, uh, successful bit of the story. And that, that's it. Let's get the band up and pray. But no, see, Joseph had seemingly passed the test without succumbing to bitterness of circumstance. He allowed God to lead him. The tests he faced were grueling, but nothing could compare, sorry, could prepare him for the final and biggest test that he was about to face. And that was facing, facing the perpetrators. See, Genesis 42 to 50, the, the Bible tells us that there was a famine in Israel. It forced everyone out. It forced his brothers out to Egypt. And, you know, lo and behold, one day he's coming out and, oh, it's my brothers. Oh, my God, it's my brothers. It's my brothers. What do I do? It's my brothers. These are the guys that put me here. And they had no clue who he was. He had gone from 17-year-old kid to, to now a grown man, right? Probably had a full-on beard, uh, you know, and, and again, dressed in royal robes. They wouldn't have known who he is. This was the opportunity. See, forgiveness is powerful, you know, if, if, if you're considered to be the weaker, but it's actually challenging. when Now, this man was in a position of power. Uh -huh. All right, boys, let's see how tough you are. See, he could have sat there and looked at his brothers and say, all of this happened because of what you did to me. We might be here today and every single thing that has happened to us bad in our lives is because of that person abusing that trust all those years ago. And if only I get the chance to get back at them. This is where Joseph was. And I love the word because he clearly struggled with this. When we read chapter 42 to 44, he plays what I, I believe is a very sick prank on his brothers. He brings his brothers to his knees. Hey, um, how many brothers are there? And he knows, but he's, oh, we've got a younger brother back home. Good, go get him. Get him for me. No, no, look, my dad, like, he's kind of like a favorite because he lost his other favorite because we kind of stuffed up. I don't care what, what happened. Go get him. Bring him here. Then they bring him here. Please don't do anything to him. He plays this sick prank where he puts like a, a gold cup in one of the, the sacks of grain. That's his, uh, you know, his sheep to go out and get him. And he's facing the prospect of prison, right? He's, and the boys are like at this point showing the remorse and saying, just take me. Don't put my father through this again. He'll die. Now, personally, I wouldn't encourage playing uh, pranks on people. It's not cool. But that just shows you, again, the humanity. Sometimes we over-spiritualize men and women of God when they actually face the same, confronted with the same realities that we face in this day's age. But not being able to take it anymore, he reveals his identity. His brothers were freaking out. <laughs> we're done, man. We are so done. Sorry, I'm just putting the Dave language. That's a Dave translation of how it would happen. Uh, but we read in Genesis 45, verses 4 to 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. They're waiting for like the clip around the ears. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. 
but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Forgiveness, it's not easy. You know, in verse 15, he seals it and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. A process of 13 years. And in one moment of time, a sick spiral of betrayal, a sick spiral of accusation, a sick spiral of being overlooked and forgotten was broken in a moment of time. I'm going to invite the band to come up. You know, grace and forgiveness is so hard to receive. And the brothers, they struggled. I mean, we read again, and I'm turning over to to Genesis chapter 50. You know, we read verses 15 to 21. We know verse 20, but the context is equally as powerful. Verse 15 of Genesis 50 said, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, I don't know if he did or not. You know, they might be lying, I don't know. But this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? To harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, the brothers were still expecting payback. You might be here tonight and you might have been a perpetrator of something and you might expect that God can never forgive me can I tell you God can forgive any sin as long as we declare it under the name of Jesus and repent and there'll be an opportunity for us to do that in a moment but see here Joseph was at peace because the first thing that he did was seek God first he didn't seek revenge that would have hurt 13 years man I, I can't for some here it's decades of things that happened when you were a child that should never have happened you know, like it might have been years, decades since that person walked out on you, broke your heart, left you, abandoned you. But we're only one prayer away for God's grace. Romans 8.28 is God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. See, God doesn't cause these things. He gives us free will. But we're always one prayer away from allowing God to turn even the harshest of realities into the most beautiful of victories and testimonies. See, forgiving is not forgetting. Joseph understood what happened, but he said, I don't hold it over you anymore. That debt, like we spoke last week, that debt is cancelled, paid in full on the cross. What Jesus did for me, I can do for you. It's overlooking all well and good Dave like, uh, that's Joseph that's cool what about my circumstance you know I want to share before I pray one of the biggest heroes in my life is my father 
Now, unfortunately, he's not here today because mum had some surgery on Friday and is recovering. But I do have his blessing to share his story because I, I understood true forgiveness from my, you know, like, was, like what was the cultural norm in El Salvador. My, father, my, my granddad abandoned my dad when he was born. When he was a baby, didn't want nothing to do with my dad, didn't want to acknowledge who he was as his son. And so for years, all his childhood, all his teenage years, he grew up without a father figure in his life. Sorry, it's obviously very raw still. And then in his early 20s, his dad just appears out of the blue. Just comes out of, hey son, I've given my life to Jesus. You probably don't know who he is. My dad and my brothers will tell you, my dad was one of the biggest atheists I'd ever met. You know, my mom had accepted, you know, in an earthquake. That's a testimony for another day. But dad didn't want anything to do with God. I can understand why. And he's like, I don't want to hear it, but please forgive me. And my dad's like, it's okay. It's okay. But two or three years later, his father would have a stroke that would leave him paralyzed. His other children could not afford to look after him. And so it came for my dad to look after him. Now he had a choice. Where were you when I needed you? You left me. But no, it's all right, Dad. I'll look after you. I'll clean you. I'll change you. Every bit of your vulnerability, I don't care because I love you and I forgive you. And this was a man that did not know God. But in that act, the seed then in that act of forgiving and opening his heart allowed him to receive the gospel and eight years later, he would make a decision to follow Jesus. And 20 odd years later, here I am preaching to you about forgiveness. Generations change. You know, I tell my dad every Father's Day, was he the perfect father? No. But are we the perfect children? No, definitely not. <laughs> Especially my brothers. That <laughs> oh, was good. But I tell my dad this every single Father's Day. You may not have made the best choices in raising me, but the very fact that you could have done the exact same thing, but you chose to man up, take responsibility, responsibility love me, my brothers, my mom, with all your heart and sacrifice for us, that is worth a lifetime of mistakes that you've made. See, it's easy to, 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 to read the story and be like, I can't relate. But many of us right now are in that, at that crossroad right now. We can hold things against people and never encounter the full joy that God has for you. Or today, we can choose to let it go on the altar. They may not change, but let me tell you, when we give and we surrender our hurts to God, He can take care of that. But you can live in freedom. And so for the next few moments, what I would love to do, I'm going to invite everyone to be upstanding. It would be my greatest honor, my greatest privilege, my greatest joy to be able to pray for you today. You are needing forgiveness or to let go of this. You're not alone. At some point, we've had to confront the reality of past hurts. Due to time's sake, I, I can't go into to more, but, but God's love is greater. And it breaks my heart every single week when I see people come in and sit down and, and withhold against God and, and refuse to, 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 to build relationships with covenant family because of what someone else did to you a long time ago. It breaks my heart when we hide ourselves behind our insecurities. 
And so we hide and we think, oh no, it's just, I don't like the music. Or, oh no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people. It breaks my heart when I see that because I see the reality is not the taste of music or, or, or the, the type of personality. It's a fear of being rejected. And I believe today God is going to break those chains here today. But do you believe that God can do that? It is my greatest honor and privilege to pray for you. So I'm going to ask for the lights to be turned off and I'm just going to be up here. No one may come up. That's okay. But you might be here today just needing the love and grace of God in your life, whether it be to let go of what you've done to someone or, or, or perhaps what to you. I'm going to invite the prayer team, our leaders to come up. There is nothing pretty about this moment, but there is something beautiful at the other side of letting go and allowing God to fill your heart with grace. And so while the worship team lead us, if you're here today and you're needing prayer, I would love to stand in the gap with you and pray. I'm just going to hand it over to the team. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.